My parents were older when I was born. My daddy was 47. When I was two years old, he died, and my mother had never worked. And so for us to survive, she had to get a job. She worked in retail the rest of her life. My Aunt Kitty was uh, in her young 20s, and so she took over raising me. I think that's the way the keys were raised. They just took care of whatever needed. If something happened to somebody, that they just stepped up to the plate. I was raised by all these people, but the strength of all of this, uh, and the person that I was with most of all of this time was Aunt Kitty. We would walk to the shop, sometimes we'd skip or run or whatever. This was the person that I was, I was around the most. Somebody that's willing to spend some time, quality time, and that's not always easily done. I, I had that quality time. Aunt Kitty, I, she, we would have foot races, we would uh, uh, play football, we would do all of the things that, that everybody else does. Uncle Winford worked. And I had Aunt Kitty for 10 years before she had daughters. And she had two daughters at that time who, who are just like sisters to me. I really never knew a difference in the love for my mother and my Aunt Kitty and her husband, Uncle Winfred. I don't remember anything about my dad, I, I, nothing. But it, that didn't matter. Everybody else took over and raised John. These people were, were all just pulling on the same end of the rope to get through life. Family was, it was just the strength. I don't know if anybody can step up like Aunt Kitty did, but we can all find a child somewhere that needs, needs a father figure or a mother figure or a family figure and, and involve them. And it would be fun to also give these people some direction in their life that they, that they don't have. And for them to understand, I grew up without a father too. I know that there are people out there like me who have lost a parent or even both parents or another close family member. There are people out there who do want to help you. There are people who are willing to spend their time, their, 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 some of their life with you. We all need to step up and, and look for people in the situation that I was in or similar type situations. I'm sure my Aunt Kitty wasn't ready to raise me, but she did. And, uh, and I think that we have to do the same thing for whoever needs that. Now I feel like I am one of those people. And so that's a good feeling that you know you've gone through all of this time and are able to hopefully help somebody with that. And I've had said a lot about Aunt Kitty. My mother did too love me. But Aunt Kitty's the one that is by far the most influential person in my life. I talk to her once or twice a week. She's 92. She can't get around out of her house very often now because she's on oxygen, so she's tied to ever how far that, that oxygen tank will let her go. And she still teaches Sunday school to share herself with these kids. She'll do it to her dying day. She's helped us through and the greatest prayer warrior in the world. So, that's Aunt Kitty. Everybody needs an Aunt Kitty. Well, good morning. I'm my name is Caesar. I'm one of the pastors here, also the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. It's a blessing to be here with you this morning. I thank God for God's amazing grace and uh, for all those uh, people who pour into our lives. As we celebrate Memorial Day weekend, I'm also thankful for all those who have sacrificed for 
um, our freedoms to be able to be here to uh, worship God. Like I always say, worship God the way that we, uh, that we, the, the way that God speaks to us. And, and I just thank God for that opportunity to be able to do that. And knowing that the sacrifices have been made, um, I always think it's important for us to take a moment to stop and reflect and thank God for God's amazing grace. And then um, to just know that, you know, none of us stand where we are uh, without the sacrifice of others. And so I thank God for that as well. Um, I'm also uh, celebrating, I've been celebrating for the last couple of weeks now. Y'all, you always hear me talk about my drive to Dallas and how I lose Jesus on the way on 360. Well, God answered my prayers and now 360 is a real highway and I've been driving down and making it all the way to Dallas with Jesus and the disciples in the car. I've been getting to work, Jesus in me. And they're like, oh, wow, the Jesus in you. <laughs> uh, and I was, I've, I've been celebrating until I got the bill for the tollway. And then I was, <laughs> then I went back to the serenity prayer. <laughs> well, um, I want to draw um, uh, um, this particular message from a passage that comes from Matthew 29. Uh, 19 through 20, and then also Matthew 5, 13 uh, through 16. And uh, as we prepare to, to hear a word from God, that, that particular passage is found on uh, 1557 uh, in, in your Bible. Um, as we prepare to hear a word from God, will you prepare your hearts as we now hear this word? <clears throat> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Matthew 13 and 16, it says this, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Will you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we come before you in the humblest way that we know how, asking that you would rescue me from me, that you would rescue all of us from ourselves, and that God, you would hide me and hide all of us behind your cross, that this moment, that this holy moment, we may see you lifted up and glorified. We pray, God, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. Then, God, we will be mindful, mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
As we continue the sermon series, Mothers, Fathers, and Mentors, and as we spend time reflecting today, talking about what it means to be a mentor, I believe that it is vital for us to know that if we're going to be the faith-filled community that God is calling us to be, then we must be ready and willing to share our whole life, our gifts of grace, as well as our vulnerabilities and our human condition with the world. That if we are going to live out the mission of the United Methodist Church, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, then we must align ourselves with the great commandment of Jesus Christ that that Jesus spoke to his disciples and said this, that we must love God with our whole hearts, minds, and souls, and that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Yes, we must be willing to show up and put our lives on the line for the sake of redemptive love. That if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we must know that our life on this planet is not the end-all, be-all, but that our life on this planet is about being the prophetic presence of God in a world that so desperately needs to know and feel the love of God for the sake of everlasting life. When I think about my own improbable journey to where I am today and how I, as an African-American man, or African-American man born of two deaf parents who lived his life on the margins of society, who struggled to find out for himself the meaning for his life, and who continues to draw from the deep well of love that was given to me by my mentors. I can't help but think and give praise to God for all the people who risked their lives for the sake of love and the gospel of Jesus Christ to see me live. People like my mama and my daddy, my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather, Mama Annie and Papa Joe, and my grandmother, Evelyn, and my grandfather, Daddy Lewis, and my aunts, and uncles, Aunt Dorothy, and Aunt April, and Aunt Ruby, and Aunt Pearl, and Aunt Ivy, and Aunt Eva May, and all the other aunts that I had, and, and my uncles, TD, and Benjamin, and Joseph, and Governor, and Peach, and Plum. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for Mount Nebo Baptist Church that taught me early in life the importance of faith. And when I think of the well that I draw from with my inner circle and the family that I grew up with, I have to also think of and consider all of those faithful others outside of my family circle that included people like Mr. Ross and Pete and Mr. Johnson, Mrs. Johnson and Mrs. Sermon and Mr. Peace and Mr. Butler, and Mr. Barnes, and Mr. Stafford, and Coach Bear, and Dr. Luckett, and a whole host of others who poured into this weak and feeble life of mine. Yes, when I reflect over where I came from and where I am today, I can't help but hear the realities of Dr. Martin Luther King's word ring true in my life when he says this. In a real sense, all of life is interrelated. 
All men are caught in an inescapable web of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is an interrelated structure of reality. Thus, if we're going to be the church that God is calling for, and if we're going to be the people who profess our faith in the love of God found in Jesus Christ, then it means that we're going to have to leave our comfortable perches and risk our lives for the sake of love and the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ so that God's presence is made known in the world. The Bible says this in Matthew 5, 13 and 16. It says this, we are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Therefore, if we want to be more than useless salt, and if we want to see change and holy transformation in a world gone adrift, in a society that has forgotten the golden rule and has misconstrued political, political incorrectness and rudeness for the prophetic truth of love, I would suggest to you that we, as a society, are in need of holy and loving mentoring. When we have adopted a win-at-all-cost mentality in our churches and in our businesses and in our politics without considering the cost to the holy and loving relationships and connections that God is calling us to, I would suggest to you that we are in need of holy and loving mentoring. When we live our lives with more fear than we do faith, and when we see the proliferation of violence in our most sacred places where our physical connection to each other is threatened, I would suggest to you that we as a society are in need of holy and loving mentoring. When we're racked with spiritual and emotional pain and paralyzed by spiritual and emotional anxiety and depressed by spiritual and emotional uh, hopelessness and, and, our, and our only response to the spiritual conditions that we face in life is to numb ourselves with the substances of the world, I would suggest to you that we are in need of holy and loving mentoring. Thus, if we are going to see change, if we're going to see things change, if we're going to be the transformative agents in the world, it means that we have to leave our comfortable places and go and build bridges of trust and influence so that the love of God will flow in the world and in our lives. In fact, the Great Commission found in Matthew 29, 28, and 20, 28, 19, and 20, it says this, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, go and mentor and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Jesus and establishing their roots in the fertile soil of agape that seeks for all of us creative, redemptive goodwill. So, 
So the question for us is how do we become that loving, mentoring community that God is calling us to be? How do we, how do we move from our comfortable places and, and put ourselves in a place where we can risk the gifts that God has given us to share what God has given us with the world so that the world will be made whole? Well, the first thing we must do is we must be ready to faithfully show up. But we must be ready to faithfully show up with our gifts, to faithfully show up every day. One of the things that I learned when I was growing up, and I learned it early on, is that if you want to win, you just got to show up. That half of life's battle is about just showing up. 50% of, of everything that we face is about showing up. You can't win a game if you don't show up. And I learned early on when I went to college, when I looked at the syllabus and the syllabus said on there that 50% of the classroom attendance was showing up, I was like, man, I might make this because I can get the, 20, the other 20%. When I think about my own life and where I am and, and where I am in my own ministry, I think about people who showed up faithfully in my life, people like... Coach Mickey Bear, who coached me from the day that I started playing football in the seventh grade. I remember Coach Bear was the biggest coach in our high school and in our junior high. He stood about 6'6", six, six and, and he was a tall man and, and big man. And I remember he, he started coaching me, and I, I remember he would show up every day when we, would, when we were out in practice, and, and he was always on my case. And I remember as a seventh grader, I remember I used to think, hey, Coach Bear doesn't like me. Because every, every time that I would lean on my helmet, he'd make me stand up. Every time I'd get a drink, he'd, he'd make me get away from the water. Every time I did something wrong, he, he'd always make me do it over again. And every time I slacked on anything, he'd always come back and make me run again. If we were doing exercises and I slowed down a little bit, he'd make me go run again. And, and I got to the point where I was just like, you know, I'm, I, I, I want to play, but I don't, wanna, I don't want to, to, to be discouraged. I'm just going to figure out how to... How to to, to get Coach Bear off my case. And so I, I started taking ownership and, and showing up and, and started finishing everything that I was doing. And, and I remember as I, as I grew and I progressed as an athlete and as I grew and progressed in, in my age, that as I got into the 11th grade, the opportunities start to come and, and, and with schools looking and, and, and Coach Bear wanting me to get exposure to other schools, he said to me, he says, I want to take you to camp. I remember going to Coach Bear and when Coach Bear said he wanted to take me to the Oklahoma football camp, I remember saying to him, well, it costs $300 and I don't have the shoes and I don't have this and I don't have that. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll get all of those things and I'll provide them for you. I remember Coach Bear bought me the shoes, bought me all the things that I needed, and he went to the Oklahoma football camp. And, and as, I got, as I got through the Oklahoma football camp, I remember going through the next year and then my senior year, and then finally all of these coaches starting to come to Hartshorn, Oklahoma, population two chickens and a duck to recruit me. <laughs> and then I remember the day that I signed my letter of intent 
Coach Bear was there, who faithfully showed up to see this happen in my life. If we're going to be all that God has called us to be, we must faithfully show up in the world. Revelations 2.10, and I paraphrase, says this, do not fear for what you will suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. If we want life in our world, if we want love to happen, if we want this place to be a better place, we have to faithfully show up. Second thing we must do is we must embrace our story of loss before we can share our pearls of wisdom. That we must embrace our stories of loss before we can share our pearls of wisdom. James 1, 2, 4 says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Winning while it's important, winning while we want to win and it feels good to win, it's not the most important thing in life. That, that sometimes when we lose, the most important thing in life is learning the lessons of when we lose. Learning the lessons of when we lose, when we lose, when we have experiences, when we feel loss in our lives, it's an opportunity for revival and to rethink how we do things. But the important thing of mentoring and, and where God is calling us to be is not to always be right, but to show up, to show up with, with who it is that we are and to show up and allow ourselves to be present and to learn and to take what we've learned from our past so that we can move into the glorious future that God has called us to. I remember my rookie year when I was in the NFL and when I was playing with the Chicago Bears, I remember one game that we played uh, with Chicago Bears was with the Detroit Lions and the left tackle got hurt. And I remember my coach, Dick Stanfield, uh, yelling my name out. I'd been watching the game and I saw the tackle go down and he yelled my name out and he said, Renty, you get in there. And I, you know, in his Boston accent. And I was like, yes, sir. And I'd get my helmet on and I ran out. And I remember we were, in the, we were in the Detroit stadium in this dome and the fans were yelling and we were, we were in one of those tight moments where you're third and five and you need to make a first down. And I, my heart was pumping and I go, to, I go to the huddle and I'm trying to listen to the play and I'm, I'm, I'm listening as hard as I can to hear the play and, and I hear the quarterback yelling at the top of his voice but it sounds like a whisper in my ear and I hear Jim McMahon gives this message message and I'm, I get the play and so I run over to the line of scrimmage with my orders and I know exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and, and how I, who, who it is that I need the block. And I remember I couldn't hear the snap count. And I looked in and I looked out and I looked in and I looked out because I was trying to time the ball. And as I looked in, the, the, the center snapped the ball on the way to turn it in. And I remember going, oh, my God, I'm going to be late getting out. And I, I, as I turned around, the linebacker was behind me on his way to the quarterback, hit the quarterback, throws the ball in the air, falls. I recover the fumble. I get up. We didn't get the first down. I look at the line. 
I look over at the sideline and I see Mike Dicker and I take the long way around. <laughs> and then the next day we had to go and evaluate the film. And I'm sitting in the film room with all of my peers and offensive linemen and we're sitting in this dark room and, and we're watching this film and, I, and I'm, the only thing I can think about was the sack that I gave up and, and I'm thinking about this and, and, Mike and, and, and Dick Stanfield is going through the film and he gets to my part and he goes, Renty, what was going on with you? That's his, his Boston accent. No, in Hartshorn accent, it sounds different. And I said, well, coach, I said, I, I said, I was having a hard time. I was trying to hear, I was trying to, to get, to hear the snap count. And he said, well, what was going on with you? Why couldn't you hear the snap count? And I said, I was really trying to, to hear. I was trying to, by that time, as I was trying to explain to, to coach Stanfield, Mike Dicker walks into the room. He walks into the room and he sits down and he listens to my explanation and, and the reason that I missed the snap count. And about that time, he turns off the projector and we're sitting in total darkness. And then he says to me, he said, Caesar, he said, we, he said, we drafted you and three other players from the University of Oklahoma because y'all are good athletes. And he said, and good athletes learn how to play. He said, there were 10 guys getting off the ball and only one missed it. He said, if you want to be on this team, you got to execute the play. He turned off the lights and I heard God and I grew up learning from our losses, learning from our losses and the losses that we experience means that we have to consider how we do things in the future. And if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, it, it means that we have to consider who we are and our own vulnerabilities, the losses that we experience in our own lives, the divorces, the lost businesses, the lost opportunities, all of those things are pearls of wisdom that we can share with the rest of the world. The third thing that we must exercise is that we must, we, the third thing that we must do is we must exercise learned agency over learned helplessness. That we must, that we must exercise learned agency over learned helplessness. I love Hebrews 11, 11 and 1. It says this, for faith is the substance of things hoped for, that for the evidence of things not seen. That when, we, that when we operate in our lives, there are times when we just, when we're not going to see the end result, that, that we don't, that, that regardless of what the problems are that we face, that we live our lives with a sense of agency as opposed to learn helplessness. And that if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, that, that we have to always know that the work that we are called to do, ultimately at the end of the day, God's work will produce life. No one ever asks a question about a seed that they put in the ground if it'll grow. They only ask, when will it grow? And if we're going to be all that we're called to be, then we have to learn a sense of agency in who God is calling us to be. One of the things I, I love about First Methodist 
Mansfield is that, is that it gives us opportunity to exercise our agency in the world and to do something about the problems that we face. I, I, I'm a part of the mentoring program. I, I got a part of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and Big Hope because I wanted to do something in the world. And, and to this day, I'm still in relationship with the young man that, I've, that I formed with, with that relationship and Big Hope. And, and as I look around our world, that, as I look at the problems that we face, we, we as, uh, as, as faithful believers of Jesus Christ, that we have to live our lives with a sense of agency. Finally, the fourth thing that we must remember, if we are going to be all that God has called us to be as mentors, is that we must establish our mentoring in the spirit of agape, that we, that we, that we place it in the spirit of agape, that we must know at the end of the day that it is love that has the power to change the world. And I don't know about you, but I know that it was love that changed my life. It was love that called me to ministry, to leave all that was familiar and that I loved. It was love that called me to this place. And that it was love that continues to work and transform our lives and that if we are going to be all that we're called to be, that we have to pour our, loves and our love into a future that's not our own. I love what Ken Utner, Bishop Ken Utner says when he says this prayer called A Step Along the Way. He says this, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view the kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we're about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast, we, we provide yeast that produce far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that this enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way an opportunity for God's grace to enter in and to do the rest. We may never see the end result, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own.
If we're to be all that God has called us to be, we have to show up with all of the gifts that God has given us, with all of our woundedness and our broken humanity and everything that we have, and then we take it and we wrap it up in love and then we give it to the world. I always tell people, if you want to live your prophetic voice, if you want to be the best that you are, take the gift that you have, that you have, and then wrap that gift up in love that seeks for all of humanity, creative, redemptive goodwill, and then pour it into the world to a future that's not your own. For the sake of life, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of love. You know, I'm often sharing stories about my family, and I, instead of sharing a story, I wanted to show you a story that was shared on the Barry Switzer show when I was in college. I was a little bit more slimmer and everything, and I have this sweater on, so y'all please forgive the sweater. But I want to share this, this video with you because all of these people who gave so much and all those who aren't even shown allowed me the opportunity to be here. I don't think a story ever touched as many people as much as this last feature. It's about a young man who through determination and courage overcame overwhelming obstacles and circumstances to emerge a winner. This is Caesar's story. Caesar Rente was recruited by the likes of Texas A&M, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. He chose Oklahoma over all of them back in the spring of 1983. The 280-pound senior had set goals of becoming a standout lineman for the Sooners. A series of injuries prevented that, but still, Caesar has played a lot and been a big contributor to the program, both on and off the field. Any adversity Caesar Rente has experienced at the University of Oklahoma doesn't phase him one bit. Adversity was an everyday companion to Caesar for much of his young life. Caesar's family had to be on welfare early in his life. The Rentes moved from poverty in Kansas City into more poverty in Hartshorn, Oklahoma, 11 years ago. The old homestead was hardly livable. Caesar's close friend and mentor, Dr. Brad Luckett, remembers the young man's hard times very well. If we went out to Caesar's house like Caesar lived six or seven years ago, I think he would find a house that the roof leaked when it rained, an open-air heater. And uh, there was sewer going in underneath the ground. And they put, put plastic on the windows to keep the cold out during the wintertime. And the only time I ever saw Caesar really frustrated or aggravated was when he went into his room one day. We were getting ready to go to a football game and getting ready to go on a recruiting type trip. And Caesar could not find his clothes in a cardboard box in a room with no light. That's the only time I've ever seen this big boy frustrated. Caesar has been an inspiration and a blessing to us a whole lot more than we've been an inspiration and a blessing to him. Dr. Lockett and others in this southeastern Oklahoma community have been a blessing to the Rente family. Life is easier on Caesar's family now than it was thanks to generosity and the Rente's traditional hard work ethic. 
there are a multitude of rentes living in and around Hartshorn to share the good times. From great-grandparents to great-uncles and great-aunts to nephews and nieces. prosperous times become, Caesar will never have the gift of sound with his parents. Caesar Julius and Irma Rente are deaf mutes. Caesar's father, also his hero, is paralyzed with a stroke and crippled with diabetes. Still, the Rente share their love and expressions with one another. Are you happy with your, your life, with your family? Yeah, she says together, happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says happy together. <laughs> My daddy's talking about it. it's beautiful. <laughs> Eileen, Phyllis, and Kevin, and Caesar. He's talking about the four of us. <laughs> I always wanted to tell him on TV, hi, Mom and Dad, <laughs> and I told him that. H, hi. Mom and Dad, I love you. Caesar's grandmother, Evelyn Chalmers, has always been there for her grandkids. Mrs. Chalmers has one great hope for Caesar. What one bit of advice would only be one thing would you tell Caesar? To keep his hand in Jesus' hand and to love his family. And I will continue to love his family regardless of what. You have and any doubts that Caesar will? I don't have no doubts at all. Not at all. No doubts at all. Because Cecil, he's just like that. And I love him for it, too. The first thing that I want to do is get my degree, you know, and that was my goal when I left, you know, from Hartshorn to go to OU. And I said, I want to get a degree so that I'll be able to, to get a nice job or something so that I can be able to do something for my mom and dad. And they're really my inspiration, you know, and giving all the credit to God because he's, you know, put that desire in my heart and, and to keep going on and to keep running the race and to keep taking one day at a time, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how late I have to stay up. Like it says in the Bible, it says, honor thy mother and thy father. And I honor them with all my heart. And I love them to death, you know, and I've seen them go through some hard times. You know, I've seen our family go through some hard times. And, you know, I look back on all those, all those days, you know, I know it wasn't nothing but the blessings of God that he's allowed me an opportunity. I mean, I thank Coach Switzer for recruiting me, you know, and allowing me to have that chance to be able to go on and do some nice things. But I, I will never forget my parents because I see the desires in their hearts and to want to have some nice things for their children. And I want to have some nice things for my mom and dad. And I want to do some nice things for them. Cesar Rente's ambitions and goals are directed to the place the roots grow deepest, family. Caesar will never speak with his folks aloud, but this family knows how to speak with their hearts. If only we could all hear what these fine people feel.
Dr. Rachel Raomi Renim says this in her book called Grandfather, in her Grandfather Blessings, and she tells a story about her grandfather who brings her gifts as a little child and said that they were always odd gifts. And she said one day her grandfather brought her a cup of dirt and he said to her, if you water it every day, something will happen. And she said as a little child, she took that cup of dirt up to her bedroom and she watered it every day. And she said there were days when she forgot only to go back and water it. And then she said there were days when she got frustrated and she didn't see anything, but she kept watering it. And when she tried to give it back to her grandfather, her grandfather said, no, Rachel, every day, water it every day. And then she said, after watering that cup every day, after watering that cup of dirt every day, she said she noticed two little buds in the bottom of that cup. And then she said that cup, that those two little buds grew into this great plant and then she repotted the plant. And then when her grandfather came to, to visit her, she, she took the plant that, that had grown out of that cup and she took it down to her grandfather. She said, look, grandfather, look at, look at the gift that you've given me. And, the, and her grandfather said, and what lesson have you learned? And Rachel said to, to her grandfather, she said, that life can happen anywhere. And grandfather said, no, that life requires your faithfulness. If we're to be all that we're called to be, if we are going to see and hear a future that is not our own, it requires our faithfulness. My hope, I don't know where you are. I don't know what keeps you on the sideline, perched in your place of comfort. I don't know what keeps you there, but here's what I hope that you will hear from me, is that if you show up, with your gifts and love and water every day, there will be life. There will be life. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for your amazing grace that meets us here in this most holy place. We pray that you would continue to pour into our lives so that we may pour into futures that are not our own. Be with us. Be with us as we follow you. And then God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.